Hey, good morning, everybody. Some of you will remember about a year ago, Searchlight Theatre Company came here. Do you remember that? We had an evening called Chariots, an evening of theatre. Well, they're coming back. Uh, I've been touring with them across the UK in a production called Faith in the Fog. It was, it's uh, an evening of theatre and music and conversational teaching based on a book that I wrote about um, Jesus breakfasting with his disciples and encouraging them through a time of depression and, and disappointment. It's a, it's a fun evening and it's a full-length production. It's going to be here March 5th and 6th, about four weeks from now. And we're starting to sell tickets this weekend, and they're 25% discounted if you buy before the evening. So go to the table out there. Uh, also, we have two trips to the Holy Land this year. Pastor Brent is leading a trip at the end of June. That's going to be great. <clears throat> and Kay and I are leading one to London and to Israel in May, and there's just a handful of places left for that. Go to the searchlight table if you'd like information about that. Well... Both last year and this year, we've identified what we're calling 14ers, four 14ers, mountains, if you will, that we would like to climb as a church, objectives and goals. And one of those 14ers is that we want to encourage one another to encounter God in everyday life, but as, of course, especially as we come together. So with that in mind, I want to speak this weekend uh, on a sermon, or bring a sermon that I'm, I'm giving the title, Wired for Worship, Wired for Worship, <laughs> and we're going to look at an episode in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Now, now this episode uh, talks about the Ark of the Covenant, and the moment I mention the Ark of the Covenant, some of you are thinking Bible, and some of you are thinking Indiana Jones, and ladies, I'd like you to get that distracting image of Harrison Ford, out of your minds right now before we continue. But the ark in Israel's history, it represented the, the presence of God. The tablets of the law were contained in there. It was a revered object that had fallen into the hands of Israel's enemy for a hundred years. And now, after one unsuccessful attempt, David finally brings the ark back to Jerusalem. It's a day of celebration, at least for most people. Let's have a look at the story. Then King David was told, the Lord has blessed the house, has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and bought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. When he finished his sacrifices, <clears throat> David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Then he gave to every Israelite man and woman in the crowd, a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people returned to their homes. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, 
How distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. David retorted to Michal, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord, so I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, and I'm willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. So Michal, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. Uh, some of you will know that uh, when I am not here in Timberline, I am elsewhere. <laughs> I know, that's deep, isn't it? Uh, I spend quite a lot of uh, time traveling in ministry. I've traveled about uh, three million miles teaching and preaching. Three million miles, that's, that's a lot. That's why I look like this. I'm only 23, but all that, <laughs> all that travel. And about four weeks ago, Kay and I were in, uh, in Malaysia in Kuala Lumpur and in Penang at a great church there, uh, City Harvest Church. About 2,000 people there. Uh, this is that Sunday morning uh, service. Uh, mostly young people, lots of skinny jeans and, uh, and really beautiful people. You know, everybody looked gorgeous, which is really irritating. I mean, I, I went up onto the platform and I said, I, I'm here to restore balance to this congregation. To let people know that ugly people too are included in the kingdom of God. And uh, they're amazing people. But as, they, as we worshipped together, I cried. I wept my way through the service. And the reason for that was because they worshipped with such energy and passion. Understand this. In Malaysia, it's illegal to try to convert a Malay national. Uh, if... Uh, they do. Um, that person may be taken to a camp to be deprogrammed. They may have their children taken away from them. They may never emerge from the camp. Um, after one of the services, a Chinese lady called the pastor. She said, my son has become a Christian in the last couple of weeks. If you don't kick him out of your church, he will be kicked out of our home today. No food, no housing. We will reckon him as dead because we need our son to worship us. Ancestral worship practiced in that community. We, we need our son to worship us once we've died. Otherwise, we'll stay in hell. Kick him out of your church today. And I wept, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, because here are these people in a situation which is, let's just say, far from easy. But they worship Jesus with such passion and energy. Their joy was on their faces. It was wonderful and it was challenging. You see, I found myself asking the question, I, I'm so grateful to live in this great nation and to celebrate the freedom that we enjoy. But without scolding anybody, is it possible that we too should move forward in our expression of our love and praise to this Jesus who is worth praising. You can say an amen right now if you'd like to. You see, God's people have always been called to worship the Lord with energy and passion. Throughout the pages of Scripture, Old and New Testament, you hear a Holy Spirit-anointed trumpet call to worship. In Genesis, you've got Adam and Eve walking with God in the garden, and there's a snake in the grass. But very quickly, even after it all goes wrong, 
The patriarchs are building their altars to worship God. In Exodus, the tabernacle is constructed, a place where Israel can center their lives as worshipers. In Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, an elaborate sacrificial system is developed to provide structure to worship. In established Israel, there is a cyclical pattern of worshiping God and worshiping idols, worshiping God and worshiping idols. Bob Dylan got it right. you got to serve somebody. And that's what happens in Israel's life. And the prophets come and kick and nudge the people. And Elijah comes and calls down fire from heaven. And, and he's saying, worship the true and living God. The psalmist repeatedly echoes that call to worship. Psalm 511, let all who take refuge in the Lord rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. Psalm 22 and verse 3, God inhabits the praises of his people. Psalm 29 and verse 11, give to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Psalm 32 and verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous. Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Psalm 47 verse 1, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Psalm 98 verse 4, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. In Psalm 150, Psalm 150, there are 13 commands to praise the Lord with energy and with creativity. We jump into the Gospels. In John's Gospel, we hear Jesus announcing that the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. In the book of Acts, the church worships with such passion and with such energy. And I'm getting excited. My wife says to me, you were a bit shouty today. In the book of Acts, there's nothing demure about the church. They are worshipping with such energy that bystanders think that they've been drinking at breakfast time in the epistles. We see order given to worship in Corinthians. We see a call away from superficial worship in James. In Ephesians, the great vision of Christ and the church calls us to worship. In Galatians, the defense of freedom in worship, in Colossians, the avoidance of super-spirituality in worship. In First Peter, we are called the royal priesthood, a holy nation gathered to God. In Hebrews, we are summoned into the presence of God. And in the book of Revelation, we march into eternity, worshiping and praising God. In Revelation, when it's quiet, when it's silent, it's so unusual, when that happens for half an hour, someone writes it down. By the way, would you give a round of applause to our beautiful sign interpreters who just worked overtime just right now. Thank you. I've been worried about you all morning, frankly. Thank you. And here, David successfully brings the ark home. He tried to do it before unsuccessfully. He tried to worship his way. That's our temptation. I just worship God my way. It was commanded that the ark be returned by the priests carrying it. But David wanted to do it his way in a previous episode, put it on a cart. The cart stumbled. A man reached out to steady it. The man was struck dead. More about that in a moment. And for three months, nothing. And then finally, doing it God's way, they bring the ark home. So why does worship matter? 
If you're following in the bulletin, follow with me. First of all, worship is a declaration of trust. Worship is a declaration of trust. 2 Samuel 6, 8 says, David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. That's the guy who was struck dead. David was angry. Do you know that it's okay to acknowledge that there are times when we bow before God and we're angry? We don't understand. We're hemmed in by question marks. But we don't worship God because we're happy. We worship God because he's good and because he's true. Worship is not an expression of emotion or mood. It is a declaration of truth. That's why I don't like it. It doesn't happen here. But every now and again, I go to churches, and the worship leader is a cheerleader. Hey, everybody, are we all excited? Yes. Are we all thrilled? Yes. Are we on the edge of mild ecstasy? Yes. And I, I want to shout, no. I'm jet-lagged, confused. I don't even know what my name is. But you see, it doesn't matter. Because worship is not about how I feel. It's about trusting God at times when we're angry. It's also about trusting God when we're blessed. That's confusing. You see, the blessing of God always presupposes another question. Why did this blessing happen and that one didn't? When we were in Kuala Lumpur, a couple came up to us. We'd had dinner with them last time we were with the church. The guy came up. He's got a baby in his arms. He said, here's your baby. I'm like, what? He said, you don't remember, do you? He said, when you were here a year ago, we, we had dinner, and we told you that we, would, we wanted to have children and couldn't, and you and Kay, at the end of the meal, you prayed for us that we'd have a baby within a year, and here's the baby. Now, don't be impressed, because I'm rubbish at all that stuff. I mean, don't ask me to pray for you if you're sick, because when I do, normally people get worse, quite frankly. It's just not... not. I'm just no good at that. But here's the point. Even as I stood there celebrating with that couple for God's answered prayer, it presupposes other questions. How come that prayer was answered and this one wasn't? You see, the life of faith is always a life of faith, whether we're angry or blessed. Don't wait for the question marks to be banished. It's a declaration of trust is worship. Secondly, worship brings us back to our core identity. It brings us back to our core identity. Look at verse 14. David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. David's a king. He could have worn his royal robes. But in this moment of worship and humility... He strips back to his core identity and wears the clothing of a priest because before he is a king, he is a worshiper. Before he was elevated to the throne, he was a shepherd boy who worshipped God in solitude and loneliness. That's what worship does. It brings us back to our core identity. Our identity in Christ. When I, when I come here and I stand shoulder to shoulder with you and we sing our songs and we pray our prayers and we open a, the book, whatever kind of week I've had, I remember 
I remember who God is. And I remember who I am. I've talked about it before, but forgive me, it's kind of big on my mind right now. A few days before my mum passed a few months ago, she said to me, I have two sons, you know. I said, yeah, mum, I'm, I'm one of them. She said, are you? I said, yeah. She said, your name? I said, Jeffrey. She's the only person who calls me Jeffrey, who called me Jeffrey. My wife does when I'm bad. And she looked at me and she said, well, that's good, and you're very nice. She'd forgotten who she is. She'd forgotten who I am. But when we worship, that temporary amnesia which comes as a result of doing life in this culture, we suspend that and we declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not only do we discover our own identity afresh, but we invite others into that identity. We join with the preacher. I mean, I can rabbit on as much as I like about Jesus being amazing, but if there's no echo from the congregation, people won't be convinced. How many of you drink Dr. Pepper? Any, any doc? Just confess right now. Just bow your heads with me and... I, I'm sorry. I mean, I, I, it's probably not true. I've heard a rumor carbonated prune juice that is utterly antisocial I've got to tell you but if you went to a Dr. Pepper convention and everyone the, you know the speaker gets up and says Dr. Pepper's amazing it's changed my life I can't believe how my life went without Dr. Pepper everyone said amen amen I love Dr. we sing a song about Dr. Pepper oh praise Dr. Pepper you'd be sitting 10 rows back going these people are strange strange but I think I might try this Dr. Pepper. As we worship, we declare our identity and we invite others in. It happened again. Happened again last night. A young couple wandered in here about three o'clock yesterday afternoon. Details are obviously inappropriate to share, but in some pretty big needs. And they sat in the prayer room and she wept her way through the service, and at the end of the service last night, they stood down here giving their lives to Jesus. Because not only had the preacher declared the goodness of God, but in worship, we bring the amen, and we affirm God's goodness. Thirdly, worship is always expressed in sacrifice and generosity. It's always expressed in sacrifice and generosity. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. I mean, this is extravagant worship. Every six steps, they stop and offer a sacrifice. Let me dramatically act that out for you without the aid of a safety net. Here we go. One, two, three, four, five, six. Stop right there. Right, let's break out the barbecue. Let's offer a sacrifice. It's really good. Let's do all that stuff. Okay, let's clear up the mess. All right, okay, here we go. One, two, three, four, five, six. That's good, right? Let's do that whole thing again. Every six steps. Can you hear Hebrew children shouting, are we there yet? <laughs> and it's boisterous. David is dancing. David is dancing. 
And this is not some little Christian two-step, you know. That was powerful, wasn't it? Huh? Hoping that doesn't get on the internet. The word here means to separate the limbs. The guy's going ballistic. And it's loud too. They're, they're shouting loudly. The British wouldn't like that. You know, if you had been the Brits at Jericho and Joshua said, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The British soldiers would have said, Do we have to? Could we not just speak affirmatively? And then there's rejoicing as well. They're happy. They're celebrating. I'm so happy to be part of Timberline because we believe in fun before death. Every now and again, I go to these churches only once normally. I don't get invited back. And they've got deep joy. You know what I'm talking about? It's deep. You'd have to have a full-on investigation to discover it. It's a group of the frozen chosen, saved eternally, but looking utterly constipated in the meantime. Did I just say that? Did I say that? For those of you listening on the internet, may I offer an apology for that last potentially offensive comment about constipation? I, Pastor Darry Northrup, I apologize <laughs> for. Let's celebrate when we worship. Listen, when I go see the Queen, I pop in to see her, and I go in, I say, Hey, Lizzie. And she says, Jeffrey, what's up? And I bow and say, you have to say your majesty first, and then it's mom. There are some of you who believe in me, bless your hearts. I, I've never met her. Never. Met her husband once, seriously. I did. Met her husband once. It's a life changing experience for him. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Feeling a bit naughty today. When you go in to see the queen and you bow and you never turn your back on her and you have to reverse back and make sure you don't bump into stuff, why do you do that? Because you are revering her. You are doing according to the, or working according to, functioning according to the protocol that she has established. Reverence isn't silence. Reverence is doing what the person that you're revering wants you to do. And that includes using our bodies to worship. Lifting up your hands, clapping, using your voice. That's not only biblical, it's natural. When you're angry, you clench your fist. You wipe your brow as a sign of being relieved. You shrug your shoulders when you just don't know. You clap when you're excited. You use your body to express an inward emotion. Sadly, the church is still struggling with a big, fat Greek hangover. In the early church, there was Greek thinking that said the body was evil. And we're still living with the hangover of that. Yes, I'm going to worship Jesus, but I'm not going to express it in any way. When we clap, when we raise our hands, when we lift our voices, this is not happy, clappy, holy roller stuff. This is both biblical and it's human. Because Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. Number four, worship is a disciplined choice. It's a disciplined choice. Look at what David says. He says, yes, 
I'm willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. Some of us, we really want to express our worship, but we're scared of what we're going to look like. I have news. No one's looking at you. Except one. And sometimes we can become spectators, and then we graduate from being spectators to becoming critics. And we criticize, yeah, they're just putting their hands in the air because they're showing off. Really? How does that make them look good? Michal, she's David's wife, but she's never referred to as David's wife. She's always referred to as the daughter of Saul. You know why that is? Daddy was abusive. He threw javelins at her fiancé. When she announced she was going to marry David, he said, great, you'll be a snare to him. She's always referred to as Michal, daughter of Saul. Never Michal, wife of David. Why? Because she's stuck. She's stuck in her bruised history. But David decided, I'm going to do this. I'm going to worship God. When we come to church, if we're not careful, we can come with a what can I get attitude. But the Bible says, 1 Corinthians, when you come, bring, and it talks about a psalm, a hymn, a spiritual song, The New Testament imperative about coming to church is about bringing and not just getting. Let's choose to worship the Lord. Well, lastly, this, number five. And that is worship leads to fruitfulness. Worship leads to fruitfulness. So Michal, the daughter of Saul, there it is again, remained childless throughout her entire life. Her bitterness led to barrenness. Now, would you all please listen to me really carefully? This is a specific instance of bitterness leading to barrenness. It is wrong to take a specific and turn it into a generalization. What am I saying? Do not say to the couple who are battling childlessness, Do not open this passage and say, well, it it, it, it may be sin, you know. They're already struggling with enough pain. Not only that, don't turn one episode into a generalization. Is everybody hearing me correctly here? As a pastor, I need you to hear that. That said, let's turn that around and say that when we do worship, there is a fruitfulness in our lives that we can't fully understand. I know from my own experience, when I get with you and we lift up the name of Jesus together, something happens to galvanize me for my week. Whatever's on the horizon, whatever is immediate, as we look around our world and we see terror and fear and uncertainty, This we do as free people. We worship the living God. My prayerful aspiration for this time that we're spending together as I wrap this up is that we, Timberline family, 
taking advantage of the freedom that is ours. No one checking your driving license as you leave here today. No fear of agents planted in the congregation. That's why I wept. Will we press forward, onward, upward, lifting up the name of the Jesus who has stared death in the face and beaten the powers of death and hell. Today, some people will go crazy over a bunch of guys in crash helmets. And they get excited about a bull. That's great. But is not this Jesus who has won the victory for us? Is he not more worthy of our praise and our worship and our celebration? Lift up your voice. We praise you, Lord. We bless you, Lord Jesus, risen from the dead. Oh, my wife's going to tell me off when I get home. Let's pray. You are worthy, Lord. You have won it. And everything that stood between us and God, you've taken it and you've cast it down because of your sacrifice for us. We praise you. And we ask you, Lord, to help us to move forward and to grow to be a people who bless the Lord with our voices, with our bodies, with our lifestyles, with our money. We will bless you. Let's keep our heads bowed. It may be that some of us today are not worshipers because we don't know Jesus and it's time to get introduced just like that couple yesterday. It's time to make that decision to follow Christ. Or maybe you're a long way from God and your life, you know, does not reflect a life of worship. It's, you've made a decision in the past, but it's really not being worked out in the present. I'm going to pray a little prayer. You can use this either if you're becoming a Christian, taking a first-time step, or if you're coming back to God. Don't, God won't worry about the technicalities. So are you ready? Here's the prayer. Whisper this from your heart. Lord Jesus, here I am, and by faith I believe that there you are listening to me. I come to you, I want you. I want you not just to bless me in this moment, but at 10.58 on a Sunday morning, I'm telling you that I want you to take charge, please. Please forgive me. Please help me to follow you. Please show me what that means, what it looks like. Come into my life as King and Lord. I trust you by faith. Let's keep our heads bowed.
If you just prayed that prayer because you're making that first time commitment to God or because you're coming back to Him, don't hesitate, please. I want to ask you to do one very simple thing. I'm going to ask you just to hold up your hand for a moment and then put it down. People are already doing it. So you just prayed that prayer. Hold up that hand right now, please. And all around the building. Hold it up high, please, so I can see it. This is such an important moment. And over to my right and in the center here and all around this building. So, Lord, will you reveal yourself to each one? You know where they are. Help them, we pray. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Hey, a bunch of people just came to the Lord. Shall we give him praise and thanksgiving? If you just raise your hand to become a Christian, the next step, there's two steps. Baptism in water, we saw that today. And connecting with a friend who can help you. We can help you with both of those. Our prayer team will be here at the end or make a note on the connection card. And we can help make that happen. Well, part of our worship is our giving. Thank you, Timberline family, for your faithfulness. If you're a guest with us today, you don't have to give, but do put that connection card in as you do. This is not just writing a check or grabbing some cash. This is us tangibly worshiping with a song, but with more than a song, with an expression of our substance, if you will. So, after a message on worship, can we really worship? We're going to start by being seated, and then when it's appropriate and you're able to, feel free to stand. And let's practice what, what's been preached. Let's worship the Lord together. <laughs>